Welcome to a very special transatlantic history, old-timey, crimey, ramblings episode with Lauren and Brian and Scott and Christy and Amber. And, oh, it's going to be like, this is going to be a crazy show because no one's going to know who's speaking at any point. But this is Brian in Buffalo, New York, USA. And with me, as always, is... Lauren from Swansea. And Lauren, we have not one, not two... But three guests, and two of them are chicks. So you know it might get a little weird. Hooray! Did you just assume my gender? I did. (laughs) I did. You assumed correct, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, I've seen the pictures you sent me. I know they weren't meant for me, but I I got them. uh, Oh, thank you. Yeah, they were lovely. I'm a I'm a two Polaroid kind of guy, if you know what I mean. I think you do. Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, I there's too many pixels on my phone. <laughs> but... Sexiest Legos you've ever seen. <laughs> I love this, Lauren. Oh, you are in for a treat because listeners out there, we have a new sister podcast, or is it a brother podcast, or is it a podcast from another mother? I don't know what they technically call it. I'm liking podcast from another mother. Yeah, I'm good with that one. Our podcast yeah. from another mother, old timey crimey, which is, it, it's one of the best podcasts out there, folks. If if you like the true crime stuff like we do, and obviously our listeners do, because you sick bastards, whenever we have true crime topics, you always write in a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, we got them all. We got all three of them on this show, and then you know we'll go on their show when we have time, of course. But. <laughs> <laughs> So let me introduce our our listening audience to Christy, Amber, and Scott, and introduce yourselves, and you know just tell us a little bit about uh, individually yourselves in the show. Well, I think Christy's kind of the de facto leader of us, so I think she should go first. Oh, I'm leading this train off the cliff, aren't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I am Christy Baxter. the The show was kind of my my little brainchild. One of those shower ideas. All the best ideas come in the shower. I always maintain that. The title okay, came in the shower. Slow down. Slow down. Back to the shower. <laughs> Hot water releases creativity. It's just a thing. Um, I'm, there's lots of other fun stuff you can do in the shower, but brainstorming is on the list. So Not on my list. <laughs> can I ask you a question about showers? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> And maybe no one will have the, the nerve to answer this but Scott, but why do farts smell much worse in the shower? I was I was actually talking about this last night. Amber and I were hanging out together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the reason, first off, the reason farts smell so much better in the shower is that the it, it like clings to the water molecules. It's it's like that it's like that that seismic property. It it just it hits it. There's a thing called a steam hammer where you take a poop in the shower and then let the steam carry it to the rest of the occupants of the building. But I was talking last night about this brave zookeeper. I forget where he was from. But this guy licked a baby monkey's butthole for two days to make it poop and saved its life. Uh, I don't know how much the guy has paid. It's not enough. But keeping that in mind, I got this nice little body bar for my shower that sprays water out. I bent over to pick up the soap, and the body bar just hit me right. It rang my doorbell like nothing else, like it was a fucking sniper shot. I involuntarily farted. 
So yes, I understand the whole licking the the monkey butthole now. Um, first off, we have weird kind of. Oh, I'm Scott. <laughs> okay, first off, that didn't really. Okay, first off, there's going to be a lot of people volunteering for that monkey butthole licking job, which really disturbs me. And second off, I uh, I don't really want to think about you farting in the shower, Christy. Um, but it just happens. That's oh, great. Ju- just what goes on, you know, because, I mean, what else are you doing in the shower, right? I mean, I'm cleaning myself. <laughs> it's more fun in the bathtub when the bu- you can bite the bubbles. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> well, anyhow, that's where I came up with the podcast. I think that's where this whole train derailment started. <laughs> Lovely. And, uh, Amber, do you want to talk about uh, showers or flatulence? Or crying? Uh, sure. You know what? Actually, I prefer instead of uh, shower, shower farts, the uh, bath farts yeah. when they come up in a bubble and you don't smell them until they pop. I think <laughs> those are better because um, they just amuse me greatly. <laughs> Do you pop the bubbles with your finger or? Oh, no, I don't. But I have I have two toddlers. And so this happens all the time and they don't call them farts. They call them bubbles because they, they go in the tub and make bubbles. And, um, <laughs> it's a stinky jacuzzi. It is, and it's amazing. But the the joy of farts and bubbles are is just it's it's irreplaceable. Well, you do know, <laughs> kids think farts are incredibly funny. Oh, they are. And you know farts why? Are great. Because farts are, farts are incredibly funny. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's off on a little tangent to begin with, but does anybody else find the fact that Hitler was a constant farter funny? Oh yes. Yeah. And and oh did you know he I, ate I Bulgarian hope his poop? Mustache twitched every time he farted. That would just be even better. <laughs> he also ate Bulgarian poop. Oh dear. The man loved his chocolates. Well, that was what he thought would stop his farting. But was, king poop. Yeah. Counterproductive to me, but okay. It was medicinal poop. We still do great. There's there's a special kind of coffee that is actually dug out of like some animal's poop, and it's supposed to be the best coffee in the, the whole world, the most Civet. expensive, and yeah. it's poop. I I did hear that, and I know someone who tried it, and they said it is the most expensive. It's not any better tasting than Maxwell House or Folgers. I've never tried it, but I also have no desire to. Well, I think Scott, <laughs> who licked the monkey's butthole, would try. I it. never said I licked the monkey's butthole. Well, I'd like to know where you heard that story then, because it sounds a little first person. If you're saying I've never licked the butthole, I've done some stuff. (laughs) He's been around the block. (laughs) Lauren, aren't you thrilled? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I personally am learning that having a horrifying true crime to talk about uh, makes these two a lot easier to wrangle, because I can always say, well, back to the topic at hand, but now the topic at hand is poop and farts. So, well, you yeah. brought up the shower. I mean, let's face it, you, you started it. I, I was just telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the topic. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your show, because you obviously hear what ours is now. <laughs> Well, uh, it's kind of like uh, yours, but with pretty much all true crime. We we have the the humor and the the freewheeling conversations. Although I'm the I'm the anti freewheeler, I, I I try to stop them. 
sometimes if they're getting out of hand. <laughs> and yeah, but we do historical true crime. It's uh, all of our crimes come from uh, 1950 and before. And we've covered, oh my gosh, we're, we're closing in on 100 episodes for our full-length episodes. We've covered, of course, we did Jack the Ripper. We did a three-parter on him. We did, uh, we've done lots of British crimes, actually. You, you, the Brits, they love committing crimes. Yeah, Lauren, yeah. I've been telling you for years, Lauren, you people are sick. Stop putting yeah. in witch elms. And um, putting them in, in acid, in bins full of acid. No, no, we could stop doing that, too. We've covered yes. a few of those, yeah. But your poisoner's there. You really love your poison. Well, it was easy to get hold of. <laughs> yeah, you it really just... was. Just pop down to the store. Yeah, and it was on fly papers as well. So if you really wanted to poison someone, all you had to do was um, was put some fly paper in, in some warm water. And then make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And there you go. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have life insurance. I'm so glad I'm on the other side of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't, they don't do that anymore. I mean, the Victorians were worse. They had arsenic in their wallpaper. I mean, that just killed a whole bunch of people. <laughs> it was lead in the hats, too. Yeah. It just didn't kill people. just made them wish they were dead. And there was, like, the first... Um, type of plastics were flammables. So if you if you were wearing like a plasticky brooch and you got too close to a fire, you'd be up in flames. Oh, that's beautiful. I wish that still happened. Cause that would make birthday parties so much more exciting. Amber loves fire. You should know this. Yeah, Amber. <laughs> Amber, what's the what's the deal with your love of fire? Um, I might be crazy. Um, <gasps> well, you do have two in, toddlers, so you're crazy. Yeah, no, I do. I just really love, love fire and starting fires and um, blowing up my friends' houses, which has happened once. Um, I, I lack impulse control, I think, and fire is just really pretty. I think the most beautiful time that you and I had together with fire was burning that stuffed animal in front of Denny's. <laughs> so you sacrificed a stuffed animal in front of Denny's. Served it. Well, sacrifice makes it seem like we were doing it for a reason. <laughs> no, we used to have like this um like stuffed animal toy claw game, but if you would just stick the vacuum hose up there, you could just t steal animals and then we would take them outside and and destroy them. Whoa, um, whoa, hold the fuck up. Wait a second. If you stick a vacuum hose up the claw game, you get all the prizes? Yeah, you could just take all the prizes, yeah. Note to self. <laughs> Brian's stuffed animal collection is going to just multiply. Oh. Why is this guy bringing his own shop back to Walmart? I, I'm going to wear it like a fucking Ghostbusters backpack. <laughs> oh, I see. Now, I will get back to the topic at hand because I absolutely adore your show. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is, it's such a relief. Okay. If anybody has gone back into our archives, which everybody should, um, but they should ignore us in the first, like, five episodes. The guests are always great. Our guests have always been fantastic. But Lauren and I, when we first started doing this, we really... Let me tell you the story how this started. I wish I had some sappy music to play in the background, but, you know, I'd be sued. So, Lauren and I met many moons ago as researchers into um, pretty
pretty much Jack the Ripper initially is how we met. Uh, we've both been involved in Ripperology for, you know, decades. She would always say, we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. Um, do two sides of the world. It'll be fun. And when we f- then COVID hit, and we're like, you know what? Let's do a podcast. <laughs> and we really didn't know how to approach it. We knew we were going to get guests because we've both been lucky enough to be involved in research and have helped a lot of authors with books and we're both writers that we knew enough people that we could line up some guests for a few shows. Lo and behold, everybody we've asked has come on our show, and we've had some pretty big-name people that have said, yeah, and we're like, why? But it's awesome. You know, when you get, like, the world's greatest physicist on your show and, like, the world's greatest paleontologist and the world's greatest genetic researcher, and they all say yes, it freaks you out. But we thought, you know, we better be serious. In the first few episodes, we're pretty, we're pretty boring. And then around the sixth episode, when we were doing the introduction of the show, I something happened, and I said, I'm just going to be myself. And uh, a show was born. Right, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think it was around about the first time we had the um, Brian is obnoxious email. Yeah. We just started with it. <laughs> but we decided Wait, it was... Wait, you get people writing songs about you pissing them off five years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what's great is we found, and, and, and our show is different from yours in the fact that we have guests on every episode. And we found that a lot of the guests, you know, since they are such, you know, well-known and big name and established people, no one ever talks to them like people in interviews. They're all just, you know, so professional and respectful. And then they come on my show and I say just things to them that makes Lauren so upset. <laughs> <laughs> like the the real big example is Alison Weir, who is probably the fifth best-selling author in the history of England. You know, she's the expert on the the Tudor period and one of the most respected writers in the world. We got her to agree to come onto the show, and one of the first things I asked her was, "It true that Anne Boleyn had three boobs?" Which spoiler? I thought she, it was. Yeah, she said no, which really upset me. But Lauren was like, I cannot believe you asked Allison Weir about her boobs. Well, her boobs. Well, not about Allison's <laughs> boobs, but how else were you supposed to find out? Exactly. And since then, like during this pandemic, it said she'll come on our show anytime, and she's been back on since. That's awesome. People love it when you talk to them like people. Half the time when they go, "Oh, you just swore." You mean I can swear? <laughs> is, is it okay if i fucking swear okay hey here we go. watch your mouth god damn it uh, god fuck shit fuck but uh we have found that our true crime episodes tend to get the most attention so which leads me to believe the world is a sick place oh we're all sick bastards it, it's not it's not me that said it but i've got to agree with it uh, murder is like a thunderstorm. It's great whenever you're on your couch covered up in a blanket with a cup of coffee, but it's horrible when you're in it. Yeah, kind of like a colonoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> I still have footage of mine, but I've I've added Death Star, the Death Star at the end, and Tie Fighters, and just I made it like an intestinal trench run. Hey, hey Lauren, can I tell them my colonoscopy story? Yes, go on, man. Okay. 
So I have this like weird thing where a lot of pain medications do not work for me. Are you redhead? I am. Ah, that's it. Amber Amber has the same problem. Yeah. So my first colonoscopy. Oh, the memories. First, they give, they give me the shit to dope me up, so I'm high as a kite. That worked. Then they give me the stuff for the pain, and I don't feel anything. Doctor comes in the room. He's explaining the procedure, points out the monitor so I can watch it, you know, which I don't know why anybody wants to watch their own colonoscopy, but apparently some people do. Dude gets the snake out, <laughs> and he starts the procedure, and it hurt. And it hurt bad and i kept telling him this really hurts and he's like no 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 you're just nervous i'm like no yeah, this is nervous because it's hurting yeah this really hurts and at one point i like jumped in the air on the on the on the gurney which is impressive because you know i'm i'm a giant and he got and he just said oh i guess you do feel it <laughs> <laughs> and i'm he like that tone of voice too yeah so then it's really creepy because he's like, I can't stop. I got to finish. <laughs> Worst first date ever. Yeah. <laughs> or best, you know. For him. Yeah. Then what makes it so disturbing is that he's leaning over me, you know, ramming this thing up my tuchus, and he's speaking into my ear over my shoulder going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll be done soon. I'm so sorry. It was so... Yeah, that was um that wasn't fun. It doesn't doesn't sound it. I actually have they they usually knock me out for the, the colonoscopies, but I tend to be impervious to whatever they gave people and uh yeah, I woke up and they asked me to please stop screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask the doctor to stop screaming. But I, I just love that um, Chrissy got a postcard after one of hers, and it was like uh, something about let us know how we did scoping you out. Yeah, it was thanks for letting us scope you out with a little illustration on it from the, the hospital. Horrifying illustration I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was not a, a fun drawing, and I like to think about the artist who was asked to draw that and and the questions he had about his life when uh, he got that assignment. I got I got flowers. From the hospital. From the doctor. Oh, how nice. He was in love. <laughs> Best tuchus ever, he said. <laughs> ten out of ten would scope again. That's right. Um, wow, but how did true crime turn into my colonoscopy? Well, that was a true crime, but... Yeah, when we do true crime shows, people go nuts. And... Uh, you know, our, our highest rated episode ever was on the um, the Mary Percy murder, um, Victorian murder, which we thought, you know, we brought the, the author Sarah Beth Hopton on, and we thought maybe it would be a low rated episode because it's not the most prominent murder, it's not the most well known, but lo and behold, that, you know, outdid our Lawrence Krauss episode, so oh, wow. people love true crime and you guys you dig out some really fun ones so i i i'm, I'm hooked i'm addicted well thank you we're happy to have you hooked on our crack <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does seem like it's, it's definitely gained in popularity in recent years and that 
that I think is one of the reasons I wanted to do more historical crime was because I feel like there's there's so much focus on the more recent stuff and there's so many really interesting cases that you can dig out of history. Well, I tell people history is great because it happens every day. And like everything is history. So we don't limit ourselves to what we want to talk about. We could talk about anything we want on our show. And we have. If you look through our archives, we've talked about everything. But with true crime, I think the historical crime is a little bit easier to do in this kind of format because of the respect level. And I hate to get serious on y'all, but when you do modern crimes, you know, these they're, they're victims and the families of victims still alive. It, and it's I, I didn't think there'd be as much, but we've actually had one or two people go, yeah, that was my uncle, or yeah, my uncle was in this gang. It was, I think we've even gotten a few stories out of that. For example, I believe it was the Denver crime family. You don't think of Denver in the 1930s being the seat of like the mafia crime, but we got that because I think one of the guys, like his great granduncle or something, Christy, if I'm telling stories out of school, please forgive me uh, and correct me as soon as you can. But I think we got into that because like one of the one of the people that we talked about, the the guy said, yeah, it was like my great granduncle was in his gang in Denver. It was something along those lines. Um... I think it was it was uh, our our fan named Reagan, and he came to us and said he had just moved to Denver, and it wasn't necessarily his uncle, but somebody that he had met there, and that's how he hooked us up with that particular case. And yeah, that was really an interesting case because yeah, like Scott said, you don't think of it like that way, but really the mafia was just everywhere in the in the thirties. So you you find some really interesting cases from particular cities there. Oh yeah, it, it's oh, it's so funny. Um, there was a book written about the area I live in, about the mob ties to this area, and one side of my family is from Calabrese, and they're very um, we're not we're not mob people. We, we you know, I'm a big Irishman. <laughs> I'm not in the Italian mob, but a lot of these people grew up in the area that my family grew up in because they're all from the same place. My mother's reading this book going, oh, it's like a family reunion. I knew all these people mentioned in this book when I was a little girl. <laughs> yeah, we did the uh, the Vito Genovese case, and that was really, really interesting. There's uh, some interesting lives led. I think it's it's fascinating when you get into, you know, from when you do it from beginning to end, from birth to, to death, uh, it, it's really fascinating to see the development of somebody into a criminal and the way they affect the people around them it's funny i asked my mother one time was was her father her father died when i was one year old she went into labor with my younger brother at his at her father's funeral which is a little weird but i asked her was he involved with any of these crime families because he was in the area and one of his jobs was he was a bartender in the bar they all hung out in and she's like no 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 he wasn't involved he wasn't italian he wasn't involved at all and in all seriousness, she stops and she said, come to think of it, when I was a little girl, he used to take me out with him and he would go to all these laundromats, but he never had any laundry. Mm. So he was oh, running was... numbers. 
There was something being laundered, all right. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, you never put two and two together till this day. Yeah, it does get a little easier having most of the victims be in the past. I mean, we still try to, to show respect, but uh, so many times you try to trace a, a, a victim or a criminal's family into the future, and it's, you know, see where is everybody now, and it's difficult or impossible and so they've they've managed to put it past their family and put it behind them, and so that makes it a little bit easier to approach, especially with especially if I'm being honest with Scott's brand of humor. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Scott, you're just so disrespectful. I love Scott's the fault. <laughs> no, it really is Scott's fault. I'm just as bad as you. You are as bad as me. Dare I say worse? But I think I egg you on and give you ideas. Yes, that's true. That's why we've been friends for so long. Oh, my God. It's also because you sound so sweet and innocent and adorable that you could get away with it. You're the kind of person. I pers- also look you- kind of sweet and innocent and adorable, which is why I did not go to jail. Shit, I thought he was talking to me. <laughs> I was, actually. <laughs> and uh, but, but seriously, you have that kind of voice where you could say, you know, Brian, you're a total fucking prick. And I'd go, oh, thank you. <laughs> Step on my balls, Ambasan. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Scott could say, hey, what a lovely day it is today. And people are going to be like, oh, you bastards. <laughs> this is not wrong. No. No, it's not. That's all right. It can be Scott's fault. It's yeah. Scott's fault. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny, though, when you talk about that, you know, you try to trace the family and you can't sometimes. I think a lot of people, when they are related to someone that's, let's just say, a bad person in history, they they kind of bury that in the family tree. They don't want future generations to know about it. And it's not just um, criminals or bad people, um, anything weird. Uh, We had on one of our shows, Joe Viger, who is the uh, official historian for the town of Leicester in the uk and she was commissioned to write the actual authentic full biography on joseph merrick the elephant man and lots of the surviving members of both sides of his family didn't realize they were related to him until these you know historical researchers started doing the archives and family trees and they're like yeah you're related to him through here and they're like oh we were always told we weren't you know, people tend to bury their past if it's something embarrassing. And, and a lot of times with true crime. It's weird when you see the ones that don't. Like, uh, the one guy who was going around telling everybody he was Charles Manson's son and it turned out he wasn't. Or um, the H.H. Holmes you know, guy, the, uh, the, the mudget great-grandson who claims to be possessed by the spirit of him and stuff like that. Those are the ones that worry me. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it may be a bit of a mistake not to tell your family if there is this great crime in the past because at least then I, I think it's I don't think it's entirely I don't think it's entirely nurture that creates a serial killer I think it is part of it but I think nature does have something have something to do with it um, we are predators you know we have we have sharp teeth and our eyes face forward we're really good predators um, so I think if there are killers in your family if there is a crime in the family i honestly believe it's important to let people know because 
You know, it's like it's almost like heart disease. If the heart disease runs in the family, well, let's not tell anybody about it. You know, and then you could have you keel over at forty two, and it could have been like, oh, if you just would have taken a baby aspirin every day. So you're basically saying, if you know the serial killers in your family, uh, you shouldn't buy that Ginsu knife set. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy that Ginsu knife set, but I'm saying if there's a serial killer in your family and and your uh, 10-year-old boy pisses the bed every time he lights the cat on fire, then I think that there's that you need to, to address that problem. I think it's interesting because I, I wonder if we're going to see a change in this suppression of crime and, and, you know, kind of negative history in families as people become more interested in true crime it might be almost more in, in a, it, it, a a part of your character, an interesting thing about your family. You know, like, you know, I think that it might be more acceptable because I, the, the time period that we're talking about was a time that people still didn't talk about these things in family, whether it be being related to the elephant man or heart disease. You know, you just, everything was kind of or having so sex. repressed. What'd you say, Amber? I said, or having sex, heaven forbid, because there were so many people that had the out-of-wedlock babies back then that it was like, you just didn't talk about that. I thought you were propositioning you me. Yeah. Hey, baby. I just thought out of nowhere I heard, let's have sex. And I'm like, excuse me? And I'm like, excuse me too, Brian, stop it. <laughs> Well, we already yeah, established before we went on the air that your voice makes Scott, what was the word, gooey inside? Gushy. Gushy. I've had a lot of accidents recently. I can confirm that I am naturally gushy inside. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren has this harem of every man that comes on the show. It's really disturbing. Go back and listen to a couple of the episodes where we have like a couple male guests and they're like all fawning over her and like, it, it, it's, it's just so disgusting. It's the accent. It's the accent. My my wife is is not from the states. So and it like the first thing that attracted me to her was her giant breasts. But then right after that, it was the accent. <laughs> Lauren's got both covered. <laughs> and she's a ginge to to, to boot. Ooh. Oh, she's blushing now, isn't she? I can't tell. We're not doing video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lauren, go ahead. This is why people write in and say they're obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny because Lauren is like the total prim and proper one who will put you in your place. But if you get like talking about a, vic uh, a, a tutor beheading, Lauren gets this like giddy grin in going and she will be the most depraved person talking about royal beheadings. So oh. don't let her fool you. I cannot remember who it was, but my favorite beheading, uh, we, it was recently done. We, we did like a whole series of, uh, of these, and it was about executions. And the, the woman went, no, no, you're not going to. And so the executioner just started taking whacks at her and hit her like 11 times before she just bled out. Yeah, that was at the Tower of London. Oh, yes. Margaret Pole. Margaret Pole, yeah. See? Yeah. <laughs> It was <laughs> it was done on purpose because Henry VIII was leaving um, London to go on tour of the North, and he didn't want to leave somebody that would that was um, that had been um, charged or suspected of treason alive. Well, he was gone, so he decided to have a seventy-year-old seventy-year-old woman executed. 
And I think he also took the good executioner with him and left uh, the newbie executioner behind. Was no, 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 no. The, 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 the proper executioner was on holiday. Oh, okay. Well, everybody needs a vacation sometimes. Boy, I'm sure tired of chopping heads off. Maybe I'll go chop the heads off in Italy. Yeah, I'm going to take a vacation from chopping heads off. I'm going to go see the sights and come back, cut a few more melons. <laughs> on the on the cheery topic of executions, we had uh, we learned some interesting stuff on, on a semi-recent case that was in New York State, and uh, we learned that they, they actually called the executioner during the time of the electric chair. He was the state electrician. <laughs> nice. I oh, love it. It sounds almost decent, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like you're murdering somebody for murdering somebody at all. And even more interestingly, for a long period of time, the guy who was the state electrician was anti-death penalty. Well, wouldn't you be if that was like your your title? I mean, I'd find another job maybe, but he <laughs> he just felt like he was doing he was like this is what my government is telling me to do and therefore I will do it, which I I don't think that that's a healthy attitude to have. Um, <laughs> a lot of executioners felt like that. Um, there were some in Britain that felt the same, but they did it because at least if they knew that they were doing it, it would get done properly and humanely. You see, and I like to imagine that all the executioners in, in, in England were like Boris Karloff's more the executioner, you know, with the shaved head and that gleeful grin sharpening his axe. Guess um, what my family did. <laughs> <laughs> my family were the executioners in France. No were they? they? Yeah. My last name is Mort. So oh. the same way that bakers baked, coopers made barrels, uh, someone with the last name Fletcher made arrows, my last name means death in French. Death. Uh, Amber? Uh, Christy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would stop hanging out with you if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, this, lives, is a, this is a well-known fact. <laughs> and he lives really close to me, too. <laughs> what, was it guillotine they were um, in charge of or hanging? It was, I believe it was mainly swinging the axe, from what I understood. But then that eventually did transpire back to the guillotine. Because we, uh, we went all the way up, my family went all the way up, and past the French Revolution. And then after, from what I've been told, I haven't done a lot of digging in this, but my father told me, once the revolution was done in France, they didn't really want the royal executioners there anymore, so we had to sneak out the back door of France. Yeah. You know, I gotta... That's about right. I'd like to raise a serious question now uh, to Scott. If you know, um, something that's always fascinated me about the guillotine... And as someone who does speak French, uh, not fluently, but passable, I, I speak French, so I understand the language. Why is the guillotine the feminine version of the word? Hmm. I don't know, because, I mean, the guy that invented it, I mean, it was a dude that invented it. Yes, so you'd think it would be named after him and it would be the masculine f form, but it's right. not. He it's might actually... have named it after wife <laughs> yeah. 
that's a his fantasy. Maybe it's maybe it's like how cars and boats are are, are feminine or female. You know, it's just, oh, oh, here's the guillotine. She's she's a reliable old thing. The the fact about the guillotine that frightens the fuck out of me, and I mean the ever loving fuck out of me, is it was still being used well into the 1970s. And Star Wars was playing in theaters whenever people were being guillotined. It's still being used at Christmas time to chop walnuts. Do you ever yeah, see... that's different. Oh. I mean, who wants to eat them? I love walnuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do too. But, you know, with the, the guillotined walnuts, it tastes a little bit like Marie Antoinette. That's unusual. That's a little kinky. <laughs> yeah. So they're cake flavored. The blade. I always thought the blade was a really, really stupid method of execution because the head does live on for a little while. What you need is a good heavy anvil, a big flat surface with a lot of weight. Crush that thing, instantly dead. Yeah, so execution by Wiley e. Coyote, basically. <laughs> yeah. The Acme Corp execution yeah. instead. <laughs> that I... would be amusing, at least. It would. I mean, it would be like a Gallagher show. Like, if you got, like, the first three rows of the execution, you bring, like, a plastic tarp and a raincoat. I got my execution poncho. <laughs> Christy, put it up on the store. Yes, yes, you should. We need merch. That's right. I, I live right outside of Niagara Falls. I can go to, like, the Maid of the Mist and, like, get hundreds of those ponchos. <laughs> we'll just slap your logo on it. There we go. Uh, it, you know, that... that kind of brings me to a topic i was discussing with a guest recently about public executions and if they were to bring public executions back he asked do you think they would be popular oh yeah and i said they would be the most popular thing on television um which is disturbing in one respect but i I don't know if it's human nature or what it is but this is my opinion and you might disagree with me on this People would pay-per-view that shit, and it would break records. I mean, who here hasn't, like, rented a copy of Faces of Death? (laughs) I'll I'll go ahead and raise my hand. I have not. No, she just watched yours. Faces of Death, and then put it on mute and add her own uh, captions. We used to do that. (laughs) It was outstanding. (laughs) We're sick. We need help, Amber. Long time. But, See what I have to work with here. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I think you should film some of those. Those should be bonus episodes. Of, I don't even think we could get them anymore because we used to rent them on VHS. To tell you I how s- long it was I still left. have a couple on, on VHS. Yes, I do. We and I have do- a VCR. <laughs> Christy. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, oh boy. I think we do, we got to zoom like live this because I will definitely join in on that. <laughs> On the the, 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 the the podcast called Rippercast, um, which was actually, you know, it's the first ever true crime podcast was Rippercast. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, but it's still going, and um, I, I've been a guest on there multiple times. And lately what they've been doing is taking all the films based on the Ripper crimes and doing like a live Zoom with a bunch of different Ripperologists discussing the, the film you know, the historical inaccuracies, what the problems with these are, what the good points are. I think we should do this with the faces of death, with the volume down in our own commentary. This would be awesome. Amber, let's do it. I, I'm in. I, I think the only thing we really need to figure out is if we could play it without getting in trouble. 
We'd have to put it on like Live Leak or Vimeo. We couldn't put it on YouTube. Either way, wonderful idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, those the the video nasties of the eighties. Oh, there were some beautiful ones, weren't there? Do you remember Mondo Kane? Mondo Kane, and they had a whole series of the Mondo videos. Yeah, Mondo Kane. I always thought Mondo Kane was much more interesting than Faces of Death. Mondo Kane's available on, I want to say, Amazon Prime. Ooh, I've got Amazon Prime. Like, I'm, let me get my, to my ridiculously loud keyboard. <laughs> it sounds like a fake effect. Sounds, I swear to God, that's my keyboard. Sounds like he's sending a message to Dick Tracy. <laughs> Dick Tracy! Prune face. Prune face. That's not large. Let's see. Mundo Kane. In Prime Video. They have got Mondo Kane. Yeah, it's up there. And Mondo Kane, too. Yeah, there Anybody you go. Anybody want to fill me in on what Mondo Kane is? Mondo Kane was essentially this this guy traveled the world finding the most disturbing stuff that he could find from, from like, every part. Like, he would do, he like, I remember one very vividly. He went to New Guinea and documented a tribe of people who practiced ritualistic cannibalism by proxy, meaning they would have somebody sit with the dead body while it was being eaten by maggots, and as the maggots would eat the dead body, like, the family members would pick up the maggots and eat the maggots. Oh, God, why did I ask? Uh, yeah. Lots of, lots of like, you know, inside of slaughterhouses, uh, wet markets in the Philippines, that sort of stuff. Yeah, Mondo, the Mondo videos were, I like to call them, they were travel logs for the t- uh, Twisted and Sick. Yeah. But then they did a whole series of them, and they ended up doing one called Mondo New York. Which basically went and looked at all, like, the New York performance artists. <laughs> I mean, they started getting that cheesy. There's, but, you know, it was like whenever Faces of Death started doing ghost videos. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but the Mondos were, um, they were extreme. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate to this day whether how much of it was real and how much of it was simulated and faked. And no one knows for sure. You know, it's kind of like the old um, cannibal films, cannibal holocaust, films like that that were banned for so many years because people thought they were real, and they weren't. You know, they were all fake. The director of Cannibal Holocaust was was arrested for murder, and he had to bring the cast in to court to prove that they were still alive. Yeah, they tried him for murder in Italy. I mean, so Mondos are kind of along those lines. We don't know... Like the Faces of Death. It turns out a lot of the stuff in Faces of Death was fake. But Which they were still fun. It's so sad. It's so sad, but <laughs> I love the video Nasty Days. Depressing whenever I have a fake snuff film. Oh, that's, yeah. That's like the movie 8mm. Yeah. Do, do you people have no ethics whatsoever faking your snuff? Disgusting. <laughs> I mean, Nicolas Cage, the defender of the snuff film. <laughs> oh oh god but yeah those are uh, those the 80s were so great for those video days because every one of us except lauren she's a little too young to remember that they were always the biggest video boxes with the coolest artwork <laughs> that was the section you always went to in the video store it was almost like going into the porn section 
you are absolutely correct. Yeah, the horror movie section was great. Oh, my favorite, my favorite VHS box. I, I've been recently thinking about this. The the rental for Frankenhooker. I have that. You you press the button and the box would go. Want a date? Want a date? Yep, but it doesn't work anymore. Oh, that's sad. But uh, I love those. Yeah, Frankenhooker, and, and I loved all the the Herschel Gordon Lewis films that were put out on VHS. The Color Me Blood Reds and. Oh, they were so much fun. Full Moon. Full Moon was a good studio. Yes, Full Moon video. Yeah. They, they're still Some around. species, Dark Angel. They did some really good stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to be gone forever soon. It breaks my heart. I mean, it's Full Moon was kind of like Troma, mm-hmm. except uh, Troma trying to be serious. Yeah, and what's really sad is... Now that we live in this digital age where everything can be available at the tips of your fingers, you know, a lot of people buy up the rights to those films that are like do-gooders and just shelve them and never let them be seen again. Mm. And they'll never come out on any other digital format. You'll never see them on any of the streaming channels. You'll never be able to buy them again because people are going to stop producing DVD and and Blu-ray. That's going to be gone soon. So all these classic films... They're going to be gone. You'll never see them again. You know, say what you want about VHS, at least they all came out. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Because every piece of shit came out on VHS because it was a dollar to to, to get the rights to these films. You just get a good box cover and you're going to sell a million copies of a piece of shit. I'm like looking up full moon videos right now. Oh, the memories. Yes, I, I I lucked out. I had the guy who ran the local video store near me. He he was a huge horror fan, so just the weirdest stuff would get in there. Like I mean, he had copies. Maybe it was different in other places, but he had copies of like Eraserhead. Back whenever it was tough to see the movie Eraserhead. Yeah, back when it was only available in a Japanese export. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. So- That's my copies. The old Japanese subtitled export. My first so, copy I mean, of it. It was it was a thing where he had he had about a hundred square feet devoted to new releases, and those n- new releases they would eventually make their way to the for sale shelf. But there was about five hundred square feet back of his store that was nothing but horror films, like trauma films, the uh, Toxic Avenger back there, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I mean, just some stuff that. It was pure VHS schlock gold. And, you know, and people want to say that no one liked those films and that's why they vanished, but those are the ones that there's still fucking conventions about. Yeah. How many people are going to a convention of 90% of the films that were released in those times that were the big hits? But you go to any horror, any city in the country, you'll find a horror convention. That is true. That is true. And it, it's except kind for, of a- Except for our city, Johnstown. Johnstown, PA, they don't have a horror convention? We had a sci-fi convention that probably had roped in some horror just because, it, it, you know, trying to get guests to Johnstown is a little little tough. Although it might have been, was that Johnstown or was it Altoona? Was it just close to us? It was supposed to be called Sci-Fi in the Valley because mm. it was supposed to take place in Johnstown in the Valley. And unfortunately, the Johnstown City Council wanted to tax the living hell out of it. And they just went, fine, we'll take it to another valley. So they took it an hour east of here. Yeah. That's how you don't get tourism dollars. Mm-hmm. You see, and it, it, horror conventions are, 
that's exactly why true crime is such a big thing. Um, people love the macabre. They love true crime. They've always loved true crime. And obviously you could see by your show is two to one female. Do you know the majority of the audience for true crime has always been female? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to, gosh, I can remember watching, you know, Unsolved Mysteries growing up with, with my family. And it would generally, like, if I recall right, my, my brother wouldn't be terribly interested in, in it. But uh, the rest of us, my, my sisters and my mom, we'd be all about it. That's because yeah. as women, we're always looking for new ideas. <laughs> as, well, we also want to know what's out there that might kill us. Yes. You and I have very different sides of that coin. <laughs> we do, yes. That's why we work so well together. And what's your take, Lauren? Bit of both. <laughs> it's it's weird because in America, uh, I tried to tell Lauren that you know, in the nineteen twenties, thirties, forties, and into the fifties, the the pulp crime mags and books were so big, and then into the fifties and sixties, detective magazines, and the majority of the readers were women, and it's always been that way. The writers were mostly men. The readers are mostly women. Now we're getting into a point where the majority of the writers are women, too. So it's not, you know, it, a lot of people say, oh, true crime people are just disgusting, misogynist men. It's like, no, it's mostly women that are into this stuff. Why do you think that is, ladies? Are you just that sick? Yep. Um, yeah, I, it's I an expression about anger. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I guess... I guess for me, it's it's kind of like Scott's thunderstorm thing. It's 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 a lot easier to view it from a distance than to be part of it, and it also helps to to tame. There's also there's a part of all of us that uh, really, I think, falls for the trap of I can't remember the psychological term for it right now, but the idea that if if you just see all the different things that you know somebody else forgot to do or didn't do you know they forgot to lock a door they forgot to lock a window whatever um if you just avoid all those things you too cannot get murdered <laughs> and so we like to watch and just think well okay you know they they they, they they've been locked their their sliding door so i guess uh, if i just lock my sliding door i'll be okay so some of us who uh, are admittedly are higher in anxiety probably watch it for uh, and, and listen to it a little bit just a little bit for that comfort factor i think there might be a little bit of stockholm syndrome in there too i do too I'm not, I'm not talking just ladies i'm talking men too oh absolutely i think it's i, I think it's a thing where we're fascinated by the fear i think in an evolutionary response to it you know it's you know, us putting ourselves mentally in a situation that is frightening so that if we are ever in that situation, we have more practice of getting out of it alive. But yeah. then there are kind of people that take it to an extreme where instead of like looking at that situation and going subliminally going, how would I deal with this? Uh, what would I do? How would I solve this case? Instead of doing that, they try to try to kind of submit themselves to make them submissive to the big bad. Why do you think like almost every male serial killer I, I can think of out there that goes to jail, his life becomes an avalanche of vagina. It, it's like women throw themselves at them. It's uh, and I think, I think probably a lot of men would throw themselves at female serial killers too, but we just don't hear about it as much. I, 
I think it might be even deeper than that. I, I think there's something in our in our brains, something maybe in our reptilian brains, that we need the monsters. We need that to survive. Every ancient religion to modern religion has their monsters and boogeymen that, whether it's the, the, the deity itself you're supposed to fear or something the deity's protecting you from that you're supposed to fear. Um, every great epic story of ancient times has the monsters to fear we're always looking for something to 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 fear and i i I don't know why but we all love it and there's that adrenaline in it there's this adrenaline rush of seeing it that this this uh, is this is not a rehearsed idea this is this is something that i'm just kind of forming do you do you think and this question goes out to everybody do you think that it might also be kind of an ethics thing where it's like yeah i stole a candy bar whenever i was five but at least i'm not De- jeffrey Dahmer. yeah because i would much rather eat yeah. chocolate than people yeah <laughs> although i'm a diabetic so the people might be healthier for me <laughs> yeah there's a lot of there's, protein there's that there's the well you know at least i went down the right path uh which in in these cases, if you if you one is comparing oneself to Jeffrey Dahmer, well earned sense of moral su- superiority, um, and also I think it's the fact that we can take these horrifying things and put them in this controlled environment, and that makes it a lot easier to deal with the horrifying things than thinking about the fact and experiencing the fact that they're actually out there. And that I think is also it's sort of in a weird way. It's, it's, it's a less twisted version of the women who, you know, just throw themselves at the serial killers because that, again, that's a relationship. They can control that. That guy's never getting out, you know, so they can, if they can handle, they can decide if they want to write him back, they, if they want to ghost him, if they get scared or whatever, you know, they have, have the control in that relationship almost 100%, which is, is rare. And I'm not saying it's a good idea or anyone should do it. I'm just saying that's probably... For a lot of them, the kind of psychological drive behind it. Yeah, and Lauren uh, pointed out that women have this nurturing instinct that somewhere in their mind they feel, you know, if only this person had me, I could have changed them. How did you put it, Lauren? You put it much better than I just did. Oh, um, I said something. Oh, I think it was with John Borowski when we were talking about it, and I said that um, if they could have a cuddle and a hot meal, everything would be all right. I, you know, if I was there taking care of them, they wouldn't need to do this. Everything would be fine. There's something to that. I think there are people that believe that, which is not true because, you know, a hot meal and a cuddle still would have got people's heads lopped off. Yeah, but what they what what they feel is that if they've been there in that person's life to offer them a stable relationship, then um then they wouldn't have felt the need to do that. It's, it's sort of a, a bit like a savior complex. Yeah, that idea that they can fix this person. Yes. yes. Yeah, and, and Lauren, you can't even fix me. No. <laughs> no. Well, I think, I think most women grow out of that by the time they hit the like, mid-20s. So they, they get rid of that complex pretty quick. <laughs> Am, are you speaking from experience? I'm... Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amber, you can tell, is married. <laughs> yes, Christy is, too. Actually, all of us are now. Scott got yeah. married this year. Oh, I'm not married. Little... You, you really need to try it. This, okay. is my, this is my third time. 
<laughs> well, if I were to so try it, it three times, yeah. If I were to try it, it would be multiple times, um, because I would love to be able to be that old man in the nursing home referring to his ex-wives by number instead of name. You got to do what I did: marry your second wife's best friend. Okay, good move. Good move. Thank you. It was it was a pretty baller move. <laughs> Thank you. See, Lauren can't get married because there'd be too many duels with all the other men in her harem over it. <laughs> oh, the bloodshed. <laughs> and it's not like that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're not paying I hope they're not playing Beyblade or something weird like that. Now I would like to ask the three of you, what do your spouses think of your true crime um adventures? Well, not adventures. You're not taking part in them, but... (laughs) Um, Yeah, my husband is quite terrified of me and knows not to make me mad because I know lots and lots of ways to destroy him. (laughs) Good answer. My husband was kind of a little unnerved at first, and then as he started listening to some with me, he started to get sort of the, the interest in it. He only ever listens when I'm listening. He doesn't listen on his own, but... But yeah, he, he started to get into it, and now he likes to pronounce people uh, guilty within the first three minutes or so. so. <laughs> and Scott, other than the first two wives that are in the crawl space, what's the new wife think? <laughs> well, the n- new wife is actually pretty cool with it. She she uh, sees how happy it makes me. And, you know, podcasting in general, it's podcasting's a huge passion of mine. I, I have a, another uh, podcast about Transformers, believe it or not. Uh, called Good Morning Cybertron, shameless plug, and and I mean it's I mean podcasting is a passion of mine, and at first like she wasn't really into podcasts, but now whenever we go to bed, you know we're listening to stuff like Last Podcasts on the Left, What If, Transatlantic uh, History Ramblings, Transatlantic <laughs> History Ramblings, of course, subscribing now. Um, <laughs> But I mean, yeah, it's she knows it's a big and part important part of my life, and it's something that I would eventually like to do for a living, as opposed to uh, what I do now. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm in the same boat. Mm-hmm. I would love to do my, this for a living. It is. It is so much fun. I, actually, I should add to my my uh, accounting of my husband's enjoyment of the true crime. We actually have a little drinking game that we play when we're listening to other true crime podcasts that aren't any of our own and um it's whenever they say old timey we drink (laughs) i am gonna say old timey so much from now on on my show just to get you blitzed i'm gonna be absolutely blitzed we had a a moment the other night we were listening to a podcast uh, i believe it was on small town murder and they said old timey crime and i was like like, i think that's a chug (laughs) that's a big chug that would be a chug yeah. <laughs> just one more letter just say one more letter and the viewership goes through the fucking roof yes <laughs> we um Lauren and I have like I said we're lucky with our show is that we can talk about any topic we want and you know we've done episodes on you know ancient Greek literature to the elephant man to true crime to quantum physics you know anything but there's a few topics that we've talked about doing that even we've backed away from and said, you know, that might not be the best thing to go after. Um, have you guys thought about a couple episodes that maybe you all decided, eh, let's not do that one? 
Okay, so this actually happens a lot where I suggest something and Chrissy's like, okay, 20 dead babies is a bit too much. Okay, well, first of all, that happened with, it was Amelia Dyer. And you you suggested Amelia Dyer during the month of Halloween when we were trying to do spooky stuff. And I shot it down then. And I had always said to myself, I never want to do the Amelia Dyer case. I just, I don't even, I can't stand even looking at her face and having to see her face so many times in research. Ugh. So I shot it down. But then the next month, Amber, determined and stubborn as she is, she brought it up again. And I said, okay, I can't shoot it down twice. So, so yeah, there have been a couple cases where we look at something and been like... Or just times when we've struggled. Um, personally, <laughs> I I discovered through this show, I discovered my murder victim, Doppelganger. Oh, and fuck, that was creepy. That was creepy. That was creepy, and that was a rough day. And at, at one point, Scott and I were texting back and forth, and I was I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I keep seeing her face in every article, and it's, it's, it's hurting something in my soul. It's like I felt it on a molecular level. And Scott was like, I can I can take over all and do all the research. And I was like, I felt like I kind of owed it to her to power through and do it. And I was very glad that I did. That was and, the O.C. Sneed murder. Yes, it was. O.C. Sneed back, way back in our, our earlier times. And in fact, and, if you, to this day, if you do a Google image, uh, image search of O.C. Sneed, uh, it's usually about the fourth or fifth one down. It's a uh, it's a picture of O.C. Sneed next to a picture of Christie. See, I just put uh, my camera on so you could see me. And if you ever see a like serial killer doppelganger of me, don't let me know because that would be okay. really creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's a very creepy, creepy feeling. It's it, it still sticks with me to this day. And that was uh, that was quite a long while ago. Uh, the only thing that re- really made me feel a little more comfortable about it, and actually, I'm going to go ahead and I found the picture, and I'm going to I'm going to screen share if you guys want to see this. Yes, please. Um, and uh, the, the the thing that made me feel more comfortable was my uh, one of my best friends in the world who listened to the podcast. She uh, she sent me a little message kind of to help me feel a little better about it. Basically creating this story wherein uh, my father who traveled a lot for work was a witch and he wanted another baby with my mom. And so they got an offer from a, uh, the, of a soul from a, a witch and was, Oh, it's the OC soul. It's OC Sneed. And so that he took it and all of my adventures have been things that she's wanted to do, you know, writing, books and going to France and all that stuff has been like inspired by OC to do the things that she didn't get to do because she died so young at her mother's and aunt's hands. And so that made me feel a little bit better about kind of carrying this with me. Meanwhile, Christy has OC Sneed. The only person I've come across in my, uh, in my investigations was a gentleman named Honor de Balsack. <laughs> that's, um, that's a good one. Wish I was lying. <laughs> and I think that should be on every man's doorframe, honor to ball sack. Yeah. Oh, you see it now? Oh, yes. I guess I had to go into the window. So, yeah, there's... Wow. There's a... It's like it's like looking in a mirror. And actually, uh, during the beginning of the pandemic, I had... Um, I, I was teaching at a college, and I had my virtual classes. I'd have, like, office hours. And I actually made OC Sneed my Zoom background 
and I freaked out because like they'd, they'd come to just for office hours, not for classes, obviously, but they'd come to my office hours and they'd, at the end I'd be like, so what do you think of the picture? And they'd be like, is that like you? And I was like, nope. <laughs> that not me. Really, yeah, that's disturbing. Um, no, it's, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, disturbing that. Wow. That is like looking at your own face. That's that's creepy. It is very creepy. Yeah. Now that's got to be stuff in your nightmares now. It has hit my nightmares a couple of times. Uh, the great thing is, is that my husband has a uh, murderer doppelganger, and he's had that for years longer than I have. It was, uh, was it, do you guys remember who it was? It was um, the gentleman who shot the congresswoman. Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. Yes, yes. We saw him, we were all hanging out, and that, that the news alert flashed on the TV, and he, my husband and I were just about to leave, and everybody saw that, and they were like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, we think you need an alibi. <laughs> that is messed up. Jared Lee Lochner. That is it. I think I, I like to block his, his name from my head. Yeah, that's another thing. Why do they like throwing you in the middle of names of all the, uh, the killers? Because that way, if there's a Jared Lochner, he has an out. Yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah, I don't think... You know, they all went by their middle names. And some of them don't. Like, you don't hear Ed Gein's middle name very often. I think there's also a shaming feeling to it because if you think about the fact that the only time you ever hear your middle name growing up, it's when your mother's angry. That's true. So this this is society being angry. <laughs> We're going to middle name the fuck out of you. Edward Theodore Gein. <laughs> Jason Valerie Voorhees. I knew that one. <laughs> now, Jason Voorhees is an interesting serial killer because he's very creative. He is. You gotta you know, give him credit for that. It, it just shows that you know you can't let you can't let death get in the way of being a good good killer. He's also the MacGyver of killers because like he can make a death implement out of anything. Hmm. Who wins in a battle? The MacGyver of killers, uh, Jason Voorhees, or the MacGyver of demon killers, Ash Williams? Uh, Jason Voorhees. Oh, no, I disagree. More sequels. <laughs> Not if you count the TV show. Hey, Jason went to space and Manhattan in the space of two years. <laughs> I cannot deny that. Okay, there you go. See, now, here's something funny. Lauren nephews are, I think, six and eight now, and they're obsessed with Pennywise. Yeah. I'm Chucky. And Chucky, you know, now, I don't know about you, I grew up loving horror films and all, but, you know, I'm pushing 50 and clowns still scare the fuck out of me. I, I think it's actually good for kids to watch horror films if if they watch them in the right context. I, my dad was a big horror film fan, and my dad would let me sit up late as I could every Saturday night and watch uh, Chiller Theater with Chilly Bill Cardill. Oh uh, yeah. On WPXI. Oh my god, it was it was fantastic. And then, you know, later that week we would go down to the uh we would go down to the, the newsstand in next town over and we'd buy a copy of like Famous Monsters of Filmland. Or we'd get a copy of Starlog or Fangoria. And then we would open it up and look at it together and go, see this? This is the movie we watched the other night. That's you know, that's a man in a suit. That's you know, that's corn. Corn syrup and red food coloring—that's not blood, 
You know, and it was neat to kind of like watch the movie, have that scared feeling, but then sit down and spend a little bit of time with my dad and go, oh, okay, this is how they made this. Everybody's fine. You know, I grew up a big fan of horror films, always loved horror films, starting with becoming very in- obsessed with the Universal Classics as a little kid from, you know, late television. But Oh, oh yeah. I've always oh, yeah. thought that horror films were more moral than most other films. Horror films tend to have a moralistic view of the world. <laughs> There's just a bad person in it. But everything else about it's moral. Far more moral than any of the fucking uh, rom-coms or anything bullshit like that where, you know, these romantic comedies where, ooh, the guy's stalking the girl. That's a good thing. They should fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) It's not stalking if you're pretty. Yeah, true. Horror films are far more moral. There was something magical about that time. We didn't own a VCR. We, you know, the theater was a rarity. You know, going to the movie theater uh, was a once in a once in a month, once every two months. I, I remember on Wednesdays, I would save up a little bit of my allowance. I would walk up to the local pharmacy. I would get a copy of the TV guide, and then I would walk to the uh, to the local cemetery, and with and like I would plan out my week. Okay, I'm going to watch Transformers here. Uh, Gamera is going to be on at 2 p.m. Saturday, so I'll get that. <laughs> You know, and I knew what to look for. I knew if there was a boxing match on, fuck it, I, I ain't going to get to see it. You know, I just have to I have to deal with the fact that I'm going to miss Godzilla versus Megalon. A boxing fan, huh? Uh, my dad was. Well, you see, there you just hit a... It, my, my, uh, I'm, I'm a boxing historian first and foremost, so... Ah. As you can see, the little picture of me in the Skype is me at the Boxing Hall of Fame, so... I see, oh. I see. Um... I like that you went to the pharmacy to get the TV guide, whereas obviously we have found out that Lauren would go to the pharmacy to get flypaper and arsenic in Wales. <laughs> back over there, yes, they call them yes, the I chemist. Yes. Or the apothecary. <laughs> Lauren? Yes? In, in Wales growing up, did you grow up with horror films or true crime love? I mean, what was the, what was the deal there? Us East Coast Americans grew up with, uh, you know, horror um i we used to get a few we used to get your horror films a few years afterwards but um i don't remember much horror films when i was little i remember transformers and he-man and she-ra and that's it you guys didn't have like hammer horror yeah we did but i was gonna say because your guys hammer studios were amazing for horror but they mostly remember Cheerfer on the buses. They mm. made some really dodgy films towards the end. To me, Dracula and Van Helsing is always going to be Christopher Lee and, and Pershing. You See, know, it's... And to me, Lugosi is Dracula. I love Christopher Lee. Don't get me wrong, but Lugosi is Dracula. I will put it this way. Christopher Lee was the first gory Dracula. Because if the sunlight hit him, it wasn't a thing where he just sort of evaporated. It was a thing like blood would start streaming out of his eyes and he'd dissolve into a puddle of goo. <laughs> now, I also remember as a little kid growing up, now I got into true crime through my mother. Like we said, women were more into true crime. It's funny, the two things that I really got into thanks to my mother are uh, true crime and, and Barry Manilow. Um, two horrifying things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she was a big true crime fan, and I grew up in, in, in the 70s 
which was prime for it being, you know, around true crime. We had the whole Ted Bundy thing. We had the Arthur Shawcross thing. We had, you know, uh, all these big, big cases at the time. Henry Lee Lucas was making all his confessions. So, I mean, that helped shape me, I think. Uh, what was your intro? All of you. I'm, that's, that's open to the panel. Um, I, go ahead, Christy. My apologies. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, mine was, again, the Unsolved Mysteries. I think for a, a lot, a lot of us who grew up during that particular era, the Unsolved Mysteries really introduced us to true crime. And then also just a lot of suspense novels. There was a lot, a lot of reading going on in my household, in my family growing up. And I, I think when I think there's sort of a natural transition from fictionalized, uh, you know, crime to true crime. I would agree with that 100 percent because Christy and I are about the same age. So I grew up with the Unsolved Mysteries. I was a huge reader and that, those were always my favorites were like the murder mysteries. Um, and I, I, I think I've just been a sick bastard from a young age, really. <laughs> <laughs> Christy. Is she really a sick bastard? I, I love her, and she is a sick bastard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she tried... I had to stop her and another friend from going to burn down the volunteer fire department near my house on my 30th birthday. I still think it would have been hilarious. Okay, if they were good firefighters, they could have handled it. <sighs> right? Yeah. So that should tell you something about our friendship. I am I am always, always the wrangler of these, these absolute sick bastards. And I'm a little <laughs> bit of a sick bastard, too. That just helps me understand why they do the things they do. I See, Christy, I don't think you're a sick bastard. I think you just had some weird, gooey feeling for Robert Stack in the, in the Unsolved Mysteries theme song. Amber, Maybe. You're, you're twisted, Amber. <laughs> So if, if, if you're ever looking to start a list of husbands by number instead of name, keep, keep, my, uh, keep my email. <laughs> well, like, I've already, I've already said that before. Like, I'm not going to get divorced. I'm, I'm going to be a widow. So A black widow. You're going to kill the husbands, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's probably just going to be an accident. We'll, we'll have to see. Well, you know, I'm... they do say married men do die before their wives. Because they want to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit older than these ladies. My intro to true crime and that sort of thing was in search of. Yes, that's mine. Anytime I do anything having to do with weirdness or paranormal, I tell people, fuck you, Leonard Nimoy, you did this to me. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to sit back? In search of was great once a week, and you never knew what the fuck was going to happen. Bigfoot? Sure. Neely Earhart? Okay. It was incredible, and I, I think In Search of was kind of like the prototype for stuff like Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted. Oh, In Search of was the greatest show ever on television because the reenactments were all so cheesy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you still, you watch that episode of The Count of St. Germain, and all the characters are like kind of breaking away from the camera to, to talk directly to you, the viewer at home. About the count? Yeah, it was... No, the best episode, and if you haven't seen it or you don't remember it, look it up. You can get it on YouTube. The episode about the Coral Castle. <laughs> because when he was yeah. attacked and beaten, you hear Leonard Nimoy saying, and then a gang of toughs got him. Edward Lee Skolman. <laughs> a gang of toughs. 
I know. Oh, I loved In Search of. And, and like I said, I'm the biggest skeptic in the world. Like, I don't believe in anything like that. But I am obsessed and fascinated with all of it. I, I think I think these ladies were surprised because I was voted most likely to waste their life on conspiracy theories uh, <laughs> one night. And I got it in a unanimous vote. Uh, but I think what surprised Christy and Amber was how much of this stuff I believe is bullshit. No, yeah. but you, you research it and you know all about it. But then you're like, it's all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It really is. I am like... I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in in, in in seances. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But if you put it on TV or in a movie or in a document, I'm watching it because it's great. I mean, we had Timothy Green Beckley as a guest on our show who, you know, Mr. UFO. The guy who was like the biggest the UFO cats. guy in the world. And uh, he just loved it because he could say the word fucker on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Green Beckley is great. Uh, the Paracast is like, oh, my God. So, so good. Yeah, you got to check out the episode he's on with us because there's a moment where he's describing um, different kinds of aliens and he's like, and then there's these, uh, these, uh, these, and I'm like, little fuckers. Yeah, yeah, little fuckers. All right, little fuckers, fuckers, little fuckers. He says it like six times. He was so happy he could say little fuckers. Everybody's happy that they can swear on our show. Everybody loves it when Lauren swears because it doesn't happen very often. I kind of just want to hear Lauren swear, too. Yeah, come on, Lauren. Give us a good... What's Theo's favorite cuss word? Um, he likes to say fuck a lot. <laughs> that was delightful. That, that was. was very delightful. I enjoyed that. <laughs> it is that just... Really, I like the final... At the end of it. Fuck. <laughs> her, her nephew, who is six... Um... Would, Lauren, tell the story about when his brother ran him over. Oh, his brother ran over his foot on his bike, and he went to his brother, motherfucker. <laughs> In the middle of the street. Yeah. <laughs> we just love hearing Lauren. And, he thinks you're, and, and Theo thinks you're Santa. Yes, apparently he thinks I'm Santa Claus. Any fat guy with a beard, I guess, does. Oh. No, it's your voice. He ha- he hadn't seen you at that point. It's your voice that he he said, "Is that Santa?" <laughs> Ladies, do I sound like Santa? You are quite jolly. You gonna sit on my lap? <laughs> I should have thought that. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I'm sorry. I said that by accident. <laughs> <laughs> by accident. Yeah, Lauren's uh, Lauren's uh, Lauren's my wingman. <laughs> Lauren is like a, a, a puppy or a little baby. I keep her around to get the chicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's your cat. That's that's who you keep her around to get. That's the true. Ladies. Any woman who sees my cat falls in love instantly. So I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we just had Loretta Swit on our show. Um, from MASH and because she's an animal rights worker and does all this stuff with uh, with uh, animals and we were talking about my cat and since the show was recorded she's actually contacted me a couple times just to ask about my cat because she fell in love with her aww that's your in with Loretta Swit yeah and she's Mm -hmm. only 84 so you know I'm in there (laughs) call me Klinger 
<laughs> That's right. Oh, God. We are, wow, we're over an hour, almost an hour and a half into this. So I don't know about you guys. They limit us on podcast time, which kind of pisses me off because I've had guests I could talk to for six hours. But there's one episode of your show that Lauren was obsessing on <laughs> that we're going to have to discuss a little bit before we go on to any other ramblings. Okay. Lauren, would you like to take it away? It was the After Palace riots. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. That was that was as a as an English literature major, that was like candy for me. I, I had so much fun. I mean, you were right. I, I when you said about somebody throwing a sheep on there, half a sheep, I was thinking, what half of a sheep? Wow, what, what are the logistics? You, know, you must be strong to throw half a sheep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those I, are the important questions. Like I said, I'm impressed that somebody was able to sneak in half a sheep to the theater. Yes. I can't get yes. a can of soda. I think they stuck the whole sheep and they just ate half of it. So they came in with the pet and they left with the full belly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys ever see that crazy Chinese cook on YouTube who does, like, all the big outdoor cooking with, like, he, he cooked an entire camel on one episode? Oh, my God, no, I've where, never seen that. Where the fuck do you even buy that? I don't know, but it's great because they don't even subtitle it. So he's outdoor and he builds these giant things like big, like fires. And he like one episode will be like an entire pig. One episode will be an entire side of beef. One episode will be a entire camel. And he just screams at the camera. <laughs> and then he cooks it. And when it's done, he sits down and he just tears it apart with his hands and eats it. Oh my God. I found my my wife and I found a YouTube video. It was it was these kids and like the production value was up there. It was obviously produced, but it was these Amazonian kids and they're in the forest and like the one the one like opens up with him like like waking up and sleeping and it, the whole video is about cooking frogs, right? So he's like waking up and sleep and then he starts acting like a monkey, like actually like crawling around, kind of like doing that look around, going ooh, 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 like that, right? This kid jumps into the river and, like, just dives in, has the frog in hand. And I was like, oh, he caught a frog. He takes it by the legs and smacks it against a rock. Murders oh. this. Like, the frog's blood and brains just, like, looked like the JFK assassination. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just. It's like, a brutal like, frog. Like, Ariana and I are looking and going, like, oh, my God. I just start busting up laughing. And it was, yeah. That, to me, is true crime. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's an Asian market near where I live, and it's a huge Asian market, right? I'm sorry. I lived near the Asian markets near the, near the Chinatown in Minneapolis whenever I went to college. Oh. Anytime you go into a store, it's, it's a potluck. It could, be, it could be cute little candies or an Adams Family combination. I walked into this store one time, and they had this big sign that said, Fresh Seafood. So I walked to that section, and I watched these people pull these giant fish out of the tank and then swat them on the counter. <laughs> and I just, like, I can't, I can't. And I had to leave. They weren't lying. I'll, yeah, I'll watch Faces of Death and make fun of it. I'll do true crime podcasts, but I can't watch this guy swat the fish on the counter. <laughs> Speaking of frogs, this thing was all about eating frogs. Isn't that the whole plot of the Muppet movie? I, I think so. Huh. So you're saying the Muppets are Amazonians who act like monkeys. 
We, you know what? That's a big frog. Yeah. That's a big frog. That's nothing that you're going to see in America. That's no. like a cane toad. Did Paul Williams do the music for that video as well? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... Ooh. Sorry. Full disclosure, um, I'm watching a, the Buffalo Sabres in the background as we're doing this as well. That's okay. I'm looking at a UFO flying around outside. Really? It's got its own theme music. <laughs> that was okay, the exact gone, same sound of when he pulled the, the tube of the colonoscopy out. <laughs> well, they do have to pump air up in there, so I understand why. Mm-hmm. He called me Brian the Theremin. Wow. The butt pipes. Oh. <laughs> so man has a butthole the size of a mason jar lid. <laughs> he does now. <laughs> I did get a free watch out of it, though. <laughs> um, wow, that was just uncalled for. I'm just sitting here trying not to laugh. Oh, you can laugh. Please, please, please laugh. I'm so desperate for laughs. I, um, wow. See, this is the great thing about something like this is because usually with our guests is when it's time to be mostly serious. And this is so much, this is so much fun. I love this. I, I think I think our podcasts are going to be quite good friends. You'll probably get a lot of hate mail once you know they hear us, but uh, we just give it to Scott. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start week, sending mine to go, Scott. I, I just every week I just go, hey, just send your email, send your hate mail to scott.mort78 at gmail dot com, and then I, you know, that's not my email. So just, that's the secret, Lauren. A lot of hate mail. Just throw a fake one out like I do. Yeah, I got to start giving out a <laughs> fake email, Lauren, instead of our real show email. Then <laughs> we won't get those Brian's you know, obnoxious. Scott actually had somebody drop a rap track diss. What? That is pretty terrible and hilarious to watch. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That dude you, hates me. You know you've made it when somebody's making rap songs about you. I think that is awesome. And I didn't even know how to respond. Do we do a dance-off now? I would thank him. I would just say thank you. That is, like, the highest form of flattery. <laughs> I love the way, like, both my friend, uh, my friend Akon from Sweden. Akon, I know you're listening. How you doing, buddy? And both Christy said, you realize you fucking lived rent-free in this guy's skull for five damn years. <laughs> like, you moved on. Like, like Amber and Christy... I, I, I never even... This guy was, like, such a blip on my fucking radar. They don't even know about this guy. Amber. I, I knew this guy for a month and a half, five years ago. And he's still pissed off about stuff that I did. That's a joy to me. Amber just rented <laughs> out space in my skull. Ooh. Yeah, but for different reasons. Well, how do we know? Maybe that's why that guy's so mad at you. He can't get those thoughts out of his head. <laughs> I hate you. And he just catches me in the back alley, starts punching me. I, I don't like you because I'm, I'm kind of attracted to you. And just think of my fist as a penis here for the next five minutes. <laughs> That's right. Now think of my penis as a fist for the next five. <laughs> Bend over and quit your bitch, and it's just a diver's watch. 
Yeah, I mean, come on. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's all sorts of forms of flattery. Oh, my God. There was like a 4chan thread about it. It was incredible. I, I once got an email on the show that someone wrote in and said, we loved Brian's voice, and then we looked up a picture of him. That's all it said. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, and it just gets better. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel it. like I want to give you a hug now, buddy. I, I, I kind of liked it. I don't know. <laughs> I uh, I don't know why, but I did. I just thought that was so funny. I used to, um, when I was, I would get these hate mails when I was doing a boxing column as a, as a professional boxing writer. And I would get these hate mails every time an article came out from the same person that they didn't even read the article. They would just write the most vile things about me personally (laughs) every time an article came out. It made no sense, but I loved it. I started printing his his hate mail. Oh, that's beautiful. I just, I, I'm like, this guy is taking the time to write this every time I put something out. There's something flattering about that. It's it's nice to inspire passion in people. It is. There you go. And it wasn't anything controversial. I mean, it was a fucking boxing column. <laughs> I don't know why he hated me so much. I mean, it wasn't like he listened to the show and hated me. I understand the people that don't like that. And I'm not even saying that to be funny. I mean, I really do. There are people who listen to podcasts, and if anybody isn't serious 100% of the time, they get pissed. Like, how dare you show disrespect to something? And it's like, you know what? We're not showing disrespect to the topic, but if you don't like hearing us have fun and talk, that's on you. So I understand those people that get pissed, but this was a boxing column. I mean, he was an MMA fan. <laughs> but uh, we got to get close to wrapping this up just because of time constraints. But we're get, we got to do more of these. We, we'll do your show. You do our show. Amber, call me anytime. <laughs> um, you got it. But before we let you go, I want to ask if there's any uh, teasers you want to give, any uh, upcoming episodes, anything you got in the works that... Uh, you want to promote now or any other projects side projects well uh our i don't know i don't know exactly when this interview is coming out but our 100th episode will be dropping sometime in the next uh month or so and i'm still working on the research for it but uh, i guess i can say right here that it's going to be lizzie borden oh yes yes (laughs) it's going to be very very interesting i also have another podcast that i do it's called detectives by the decade and it goes into the history of forensic science and detectives and all that fun stuff. And I'm very excited because pretty soon I'm going to be doing uh, an episode on the first female detective in America. And uh, that is going to be so much fun. And Amber and Scott actually do some, they narrate some voice lines for me over there. So you know, there's some, some more familiar voices over there as well, but it's a little bit of a different style. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and you know, I'm not just saying this to be, uh, to get out there, but if you ever need anybody to do any, like, little voice tags or anything, let me know. I'm always willing to help because I love that kind of work, and I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. I'll let you know because I, I always could use, uh, you know, 
some some different voices and you know sometimes scott gets covid and then the, hurts his foot and and <laughs> just has an avalanche of horror falling upon COVID hurt your foot? For like I, a month. it just i almost died twice in two weeks big deal <laughs> from your foot I uh, nicked an artery in my foot whenever I tripped in the basement and put my foot through a pane of glass. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, you almost did die from a foot. But COVID? Yeah, COVID, marriage, arterial bleed out. That's the way it worked. <laughs> yeah. And yet you put your hand back in that marriage fire twice more. Oh, my God. I Believe me, Amber, Amber knew both my previous wives. I made the right decision this time. I'm fairly certain if I wouldn't have married Ariana, Amber would have kicked my ass. Yes. Well, okay. I would have helped. Because I wish you all the luck in this one, and I'm sure this one's going to be successful because I'm sure she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. But uh, if, if, if this one falls aside and you start looking again, uh, we're going to have an intervention. Well, I think if this time, if this one falls apart, I'm just going to buy a sex doll and be done with it. Okay. <laughs> Good. That should be a I podcast. <laughs> I need to be careful because I said that after my second marriage fell apart that I was just going to go buy a sex doll, and one of the fans of my podcast mailed me one. A used one. A used one? Yeah. Mm, how do we know? Did you do uh, some forensic tests on it, Christy? Oh, I had nothing to do with any of this, thankfully. I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, but at one point moving it, the spine snapped and things started leaking out of it. Yeah. So it was a uh, seam pinata. Yes. Mm, lovely. On that note. But it, it was a fun way to figure out if you would be able to hide a body. Because you had to get rid of the full-size body. How much did it cost to ship a sex doll to you? That's what I want to know. I have no idea. Just imagine my surprise coming home and I find a cardboard box with two human feet sticking out the bottom of it. Because I once sent a gift of a, a pound of sponge candy to a different show, and that cost me like $15 to ship. So I can't even imagine how much a sex doll would cost. Hmm. I mean, thank you, Prime Creator. I don't know who you are in real life, but thank you. But I, I sold your bitch for $300. Got $300 for a used sex doll? Yeah, an art student bought it and turned it into a project. Yeah, a project. Wink, wink. Hey. I couldn't touch her. I was allergic to her. I broke out in a rash every time I tried to move her. <laughs> you got syphilis from a sex doll. <laughs> That's the last time I buy anything on eBay. Oh. Yeah, Wish is so much cheaper. <laughs> Amber, what about you? What do you got coming up and any side projects you got going? Um, Not really. I'm, I'm just here to be the peanut gallery. Um... I have enough projects going on at my house with uh, having children, so no extra things for me. <laughs> Except that trip to Buffalo you're going to be making, you know? Yeah, with all my free time. Yeah. Um, I will, <laughs> I'm going to be getting on that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, hey, Optimus Prime, what you got going? Well, I do a Transformers podcast that's on YouTube, Good Morning Cybertron, also... Uh, thinking about doing a few more toy reviews, a few more uh, walkthroughs of customizing stuff. But really, right now, I'm just having a ton of fun with old-timey crimey, and that's where my focus stays. Yeah, and uh, that that's how Lauren and I are so much fun. Lauren, what about you? Because you are always, I mean, Lauren's back in university, too. 
But due to COVID, a lot of our lectures have been called off. But I know you've got a talk coming up somewhere, don't you, Lauren? Yeah. Um, I know that I've got to present my um, master's dissertation um, proposal as a talk. But I don't have a I don't have a, a supervisor yet because the person that said they'd be a supervisor has now said somebody else would probably be a, be a better supervisor for me. So I'm very confused. And what about any of your um, Pankhurst um, lectures or any? Uh... Oh no, nothing's going on with that because everything is closed. Ah, uh, COVID. In me, everybody knows what I got going on. I got tooth surgery coming on, and um, and. Um, I got the podcast and, you know, my book's coming out, uh, so everybody can buy the book. Uh, it's available on Amazon right now, but uh, I think we should all agree to get together, do some more shows, and uh, come up with some true crime topics we can do. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds great. Anybody have any last words before we uh, we sign off for the night? Because uh, they're going to say, you know, you guys just talked for two fucking hours. And, uh, we can put our tagline. I think it's, it's very apt for this particular uh, interview. Thanks for listening to our filthy words. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, Lauren is such a potty mouth. I know, I'm terrible. I can't help it. Well, I want to thank you again and everybody. Old timey crimey. This show is it's addicting and they're closing in 100 episodes, so that's a lot of binging for you people to do when you start listening to the show, because trust me, you will. But for now, we're going to get going. So, Christy, Amber, Scott, thank you so much, and we'll be talking to you real thank soon. You. And from Brian in Buffalo. And Lauren in Swansea. Good night. Good night. I'm liking podcasts from another mother. <laughs>